I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I am your host, and <laughs> I'm a little discombobulated today. It is Tuesday, March 14th at 6.38 p.m. I went for a lovely hike this morning with my family. We went to lunch at this really tasty Mexican place in Apache Junction, and then uh, we came home, and I took a late-in-the-afternoon nap. <laughs> And I slept from 4.30 to about 6. And my head has not caught up uh, to what's going on in the world right now. I'm a little foggy. Uh, those late in the afternoon naps, not, not so great. And and I might have to take some melatonin to get to sleep tonight. But anyway, I am not here to talk about my terrible sleep uh, hygiene. I am here to talk about Rivian's fourth quarter, 2022. Let's start over. Rivian's Q4 2022 earnings call. And first up, we have RJ Scringe, uh, the CEO of Rivian. We're going to hear his opening remarks. And this is not even a long clip, so none of this is edited. It's the entire entire unedited clip for RJ. So let's go ahead and listen. 2022 is a transformational year for us. We fought through a difficult operating environment to ramp the R1T, the R1S, and the EDB with total production of 24,337 vehicles for the year. Beyond ramp, we focused our product teams on our next generation of in-vehicle technologies and the R2 platform. I want to thank our team, suppliers, and partners for their grit and determination in helping Rivian achieve its targets. In the fourth quarter, we increased production to over 10,000 units. This represents a 36% increase over the third quarter of 2022. We maintain a vehicle backlog that provides clear demand visibility well into 2024. We launched our adventure network, uh, which gives customers a smoother charging experience. We expanded our service infrastructure to 28 physical service locations, in addition to nearly 200 mobile service vans. And we pushed a range of major software updates to our customers. Our core priorities for 2023 are ramping production of our R1 and RCV platforms, driving cost reductions, developing the R2 platform and its future technologies, and delivering an outstanding end-to-end customer experience. In my role as CEO, my most important responsibility is to make sure we have the right leaders and the right organizational design in place 
to drive focus and execute on our priorities. It's great to see the very capable and experienced leaders we've added over the last year. Equally important to ramping production is our drive towards profitability. We are focused on reducing our bill of materials, conversion costs, logistics costs, and overall operating expenses. Core to this is our close work with our supplier partners to lower our material costs through new engineering solutions, as well as revisiting some of the customer commercial negotiations that were agreed to years ago when Rivian was still pre-launch. In support of these efforts, we held a supplier day at the end of 2022, where we hosted over 400 members of our supply chain at the plant to demonstrate the growth and the scale of what we're building. Our supplier partners are engaged and fully understand the benefits of us achieving profitability as quickly as possible. One of the enablers to reduce our material costs is the introduction of our future technologies. Early this month, we started producing saleable units of our in-house Enduro drive unit. Enduro is our single motor drive unit, and in our commercial van platform, we use it in a front drive application, and in the R1 platform, uh, as a dual motor setup, we use it uh, for all-wheel drive application. The, the Enduro drive units are also accompanied by our new lithium iron phosphate battery packs for our commercial van line. These LFP packs are, are ideally suited for commercial use cases uh, due to their low cost and really the durability of this, of this chemistry. Another important example of our technology development that I'm excited to introduce is the 390-mile R1S Max Pack variant. We begin deliveries on this, this vehicle this fall, and we expect high demand for this, this new offering. The R1S Max Pack will launch with the dual-motor configuration, leveraging our Enduro drive unit, and will deliver 0-60 to 60 acceleration in around 3.5 seconds. And when we couple that with our full-air suspension and electrohydraulic damping system, it'll really deliver incredible on-road and off-road performance. The purpose of our investments in software, electronics, drive units, and batteries is to improve performance and to create long-term structural cost advantages. These technologies will serve as the foundation for our R2 platform. Our production ramp and the introduction of multiple vehicle platforms has equipped our team with valuable manufacturing, operations, and product development experience in a short period of time. We're taking advantage of these learnings and are aggressively applying this experience to our first mass market vehicle, the R2, as well as to our new manufacturing facility in which we'll build the R2, uh, located in Georgia, with the goal of establishing a considerably lower cost structure. Speaking of R2, we're really at an exciting and, and defining moment for the program. Uh, we have members across our organization from design to engineering to manufacturing coming together to develop what we believe is a true category-defining platform. Over the next six months, we'll be finalizing the majority of the core engineering and sourcing decisions that will drive how the R2 product line is built and the speed at which we can ramp uh, production to profitability. We spent years creating our brand uh, and an award-winning set of products that drive excitement and attract new customers uh, to what we're doing. The validation we receive from our customers and media continues to be strong. In fact, the R1T received several new accolades, including being named Best Ownership Experience among premium battery electric vehicles by J.D. Power. In addition to its Editor's Choice Award, the R1T was also included in Car and Driver's coveted 10 Best Award for 2023. And along with that, it was praised as being the best driving pickup car driver has ever tested. In Consumer Reports, uh, Customer Satisfaction Survey, Rivian was rated among the highest across all categories with our R1T being the highest rated truck. We've also received the highest safety rating of Top Safety Pick Plus from IHS, and, and that's passing IHS's new tougher standards for 2023 across all categories. 
On our go-to-market side of the business, which includes our customer engagement, service, delivery, and demand generation teams, we've experienced rapid growth over the past year as we've built a foundation for our end-to-end customer experience and software and service offerings. We need to execute against our robust customer backlog and remain focused on our customers as we scale our 150,000 units of annual capacity and normal into ultimately multiple production plants around the world. The enthusiasm for our products and our brand combined with the progress we're making on our future vehicles and technologies, along with the strong team that we built, gives me confidence in our ability to help drive the massive impact we need as planet and the transition to a carbon-free economy. Thank you, RJ. He talked about uh, Rivian having produced over 24,000 vehicles for 2022. Uh, he talked a little bit about the Adventure Network, which is their charging network. He mentions uh, Supplier Day, which is something that Gita Gupta Fisker mentioned in the Fisker earnings call because these startups aren't getting the best deals from their suppliers and they're renegotiating them. And Rivian is doing that. And they actually get a little bit of praise. I can't remember if I added it to the show notes or not, or not to the show notes, but to the clips or not. But they're getting a little bit of praise from the analysts during the question and answer section of the um, presentation. Mentioned the R2, which is the mass market vehicle, the more affordable uh, Rivian vehicles will come in the form of an R2. Sounds like we're a ways away from the product reveal on that R2, but overall, a very uh, concise and informative opening remarks from RJ. Now, we're going to listen next to Claire McDonough, who's the CFO. This one is edited. I, I cut it down because there's a lot of uh, financial stuff in there, like EBITDA, and they, they're just speaking in code. So because I don't I don't speak the financial code, I just go ahead and, and cut it down to something that I think is more interesting to this show. So let's go ahead and listen to Claire. We ended the fourth quarter of 2022 with $12 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash. This excludes the capacity under our $750 million asset-based revolving credit facility. We continue to monitor the economic environment and believe we have a high level of flexibility regarding the cadence of our growth investments. I want to take this opportunity to highlight important operational changes we're making in normal. In addition to the commercial van line shutdown during the first quarter of 2023, which we expect to result in a drop in overall production and deliveries relative to Q4 2022. We also expect to be taking both the R1 and EDV production lines down for a week during the fourth quarter of 2023 to prepare for capacity change, which will happen in 2024. In the first half of 2024, we intend to take production of the plant down for a few weeks to implement new technologies into our vehicles and shift the overall capacity of the plant to be about 55% R1. While the incorporation of these new technologies temporarily impacts production, they are expected to provide improved vehicle performance and range and deliver cost reductions that are critically important to our path to profitability. Now turning to our 2023 outlook, we are guiding to 50,000 vehicles produced for the year. This represents a doubling of year-over-year production while also accounting for the risks and uncertainties associated with the supply chain and integration of our new technologies. We expect the ramp of our second shift for the R1 line to continue to progress through the first quarter. We expect full-year production to be back-end weighted due to supply constraints 
we believe will alleviate in the second half of the year and the commercial line downtime we're taking in Q1 2023. During 2023, our gross margin is expected to remain negative, but we anticipate improving on a dollar basis for the year as we reduce our cost of goods sold per vehicle produced, improve our average selling prices per vehicle, and begin to to see our LCNRV charge decline. For 2023, total operating expenses are expected to modestly increase as compared to 2022. As a result of these factors, adjusted EBITDA is expected to be negative $4.3 billion in 2023, an improvement of $900 million versus 2022. We continue to rationalize our capital expenditures due to a greater focus on our core business. Capital expenditures in 2023 are expected to be $2 billion driven by additional investment in our normal and Georgia facilities, next generation technologies, and the continued build out of our go-to-market operations. In addition to our 2023 guidance, I wanted to address the capital needs of the business over the medium term. The largest lever in our forecast is the swing from $1 billion of gross profit in Q4 2022 to a step change in positive gross margin in 2024. There are three key levers that enable this improvement. First, most, the most impactful driver is the per unit reduction of labor, overhead, and ramp expenses as our large-scale plant produces a greater number of units. With the addition of our second shift, the plant in normal is currently staffed to produce a significantly higher number of units than our current run rate. For context, these expenses represent two-thirds of the bridge from our current COGS per unit to what we expect by the end of 2024. The second area is our material costs. We have a detailed roadmap of both engineering and commercial cost downs. As RJ mentioned, our recent supplier day demonstrated the win-win opportunity for our suppliers to participate in Rivian's growth. The final bucket is price. The implementation of our reservation system in early 2022 provides us the pricing flexibility to accommodate the introduction of new products, technologies, and inflationary pressures. While most of our deliveries today are based on pre-March 1st, 2022 pricing, we expect to see a meaningful step change in average selling price over the next two years as we introduce new, higher price variants as well as move to our post-March 1st pre-orders. In addition to the gross profit improvements I outlined, we expect to see significant leverage of our operating expenses over this period as we leverage our R&D and SG&A expenses over a much larger sales base. We also anticipate being able to maintain our capital expenditures in the low $2 billion area over this time frame. Our objective continues to be driving towards profitability and our prudent deployment of capital. From a cash burn perspective, we expect 2024 to improve versus 2023 by approximately 40% enabled by the step change we see in gross profit. In 2025, we expect our cash burn to improve meaningfully versus 2024 as we have a full year of production at our new price points and the incorporation of our next generation technologies. We remain confident that our cash and cash equivalents can fund our operations through 2025. We continue to evaluate a variety of capital markets available to Rivian ranging across the capital structure. We plan to employ a portfolio-based approach as we look to maintain a strong balance sheet position. 
In closing, I want to reiterate our confidence in our long-term financial targets. We see a clear path to our approximately 25% gross margin target, high teens EBITDA margin target, and approximately 10% free cash flow target. All right. Just like normal, I don't have a lot to say about the financial side of these things. So um, I'm just going to highlight that they expect to build 50,000 vehicles this year, and we'll leave it at that. I do have a theory because both Claire and RJ's opening remarks were very short. And I've been noticing on all of these other uh, earnings calls, the opening remarks of of the uh, CEO and CFO, they could be 30 minutes between the two of them, leaving a very short amount of time for question and answers. And they'll go to like um, say.com and get the retail investors Q&A. And then they'll save the analyst and they'll do like five or six analyst questions total. And then it's done. Like they're not leaving very many, uh, very much time for questions. And I can't help but think that this is on purpose. Now, I'm a noob, and this might be totally obvious to those in the financial sector and like, duh. Um, but as somebody who doesn't live in that world, it seems very suspicious. But RJ and Claire, they didn't do that. They kept their um, opening remarks down to a reasonable level, and they had plenty of time for questions. So we're going to go ahead and get into those analyst questions. We're going to start off with Rob Lachey, and we're going to talk about R2's cost structure and the Enduro drive unit that RJ talked about in his opening remarks. Let's go ahead and listen in. You know, RJ, I was just hoping maybe you can give us some preliminary thoughts on um, how different the R2 cost structure uh, will need to be compared Mm -hmm. to R1 to be competitive when that vehicle comes out. And what's your your visibility into achieving those? Um, Maybe talk a little bit about, we we think about batteries primarily when we think about that, but uh, what are some of the non-battery opportunities that you see? Are there any unconventional design or or manufacturing innovations that you're looking to implement uh, for that vehicle? Yeah, thanks, Rod. Um, As we we think about the R2 platform, it's leveraging a a lot of uh, some of the technologies we're going to be introducing into R1 in terms of our updated electronics architecture and network architecture, where we work to really consolidate uh, a lot of compute functions into a smaller number of ECUs, you know, which simplifies the harness, simplifies, um, you know, simplifies the number of compute platforms we have across the vehicle. Uh, as Claire mentioned, our Enduro drive units and the, the really focus on uh, vertically integrating our propulsion platform from a drive unit point of view drives considerable cost changes into R1. But we take those improvements and we leverage those heavily for R2. Uh, and then the case of the vehicle, as you think about body, interior, chassis system, We've really learned a lot in developing and launching R1 and the EDB program. And so the way we've, we've looked at the design of the product is, is really through the lens of, of where we can see opportunities to consolidate parts, you know, so, so larger single piece stampings, uh, use of, uh, part consolidation through extrusions or castings. And that part consolidation, uh, not only reduces the number of parts in the vehicle, but, but as a result, there's less joints, there's less things that need to be attached to one another. It simplifies the assembly process. It simplifies the sourcing process. And so that's a major, major focus for us uh, with the R2 product. And really the, the magic of it or the core of it is to ensure that the, the brand essence and the excitement of what we build is still fully captured in, in the R2 product line. 
but but of course achieving it with a, with a meaningfully lower cost structure. Um, the other thing I just point out is, and I noted this in my my opening remarks, we're in a very different position with our supply chain today than we were when we were sourcing a lot of our supplied components for R1. You know, a lot of the components, or vast majority of them, were sourced in 2018, 2019, well before we launched the product, well before we we saw the the incredible response from customers around the brand. So today, as we're we're now making those supplier selections, negotiating those supplier contracts in R2, we're not only using the R2 contracts to, to help drive better costs into R1, uh, but we're achieving much, much more aggressive costs and much more aggressive um, uh, pricing with all the various components across the vehicle. So so in aggregate, we are going to see a, a materially lower cost structure for R2, and that's, as I said, that's foundational to, to how we think about that product. It sounds like, RJ, you're thinking about things like gigacastings and just a lot of innovations in reducing the, the number of parts in the structure of a vehicle. Do you, at this point, have visibility into that, and, and are you starting to get visibility into what the, the p- component cost structure will be for the R2? And, and just lastly, um, do you have any color on, as we're sort of bridging to profitability, uh, or gross profit profitability. What what kind of volume targets are you thinking about as you look out to 2024? Um, you mentioned 150,000 units of capacity, but do you think you can get to at least 100,000 in that time frame? Well, just that's your first point on on how we're thinking about component design or system design across the vehicle. One of the things we spend a lot of time on across all the different tech layers of of the product is looking for opportunities at a holistic level or at a system level uh, to reduce complexity and reduce parts. So whether that's in, I'll take, for example, in our Enduro drive unit, we took the, the gearbox, the motor, and the inverter. Those are typically three different sub-assemblies that are mechanically fastened together. And in the case of Enduro, those we call it three-in-one. Those three systems are captured into one casting. So we, we designed this system uh, really holistically to take you know, three different parts, combine them into one, reduce the number of fasteners, of course, increase the assembly and build time or decrease the assembly and build time for uh, for the drive unit. But that mentality, that mindset, we're applying to everything, whether it's a seat frame, whether it's a door system, a drive unit, as I just described. Of course, you know, body structure is a big opportunity for this as well. So this is something that we carry into every design review. It's, it's part of the design criteria that we approach the vehicle with. And it's one of the big enablers that we have uh, because we've vertically integrated so much of the technology. Um, I mentioned it before, but the ability to, to dramatically reduce the number of computers in the vehicle, the number of ECUs, uh, through a, a zonal architecture where we have a computer in the front, a computer in the back, a computer in the middle, so to speak, rather than separate domain-based or function-based uh, computers, which, which is historically how you know, we've seen vehicles um, done today, and it's largely a result of a, an outsourced model around electronics. So these are these are some of the core focus areas where we're leveraging what we built in terms of capability, what we built in terms of technology, uh, as we go into R two. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. All right. Uh, I think that was a really good answer. I'm only going to go into two things uh, from that answer. First, the R2 platform will be a simplified version of the R1 platform, which I think is great. We see Tesla doing that with their vehicles, and that makes total sense. They're renegotiating with their suppliers, which is awesome. We talked about that already. And then the Enduro drive unit will include the gearbox, motor, and inverter. Now, this is this is something I need to do some research on. I don't know if this is normal uh, for electric car companies to do this, or if this is something that... Uh, Rivian kind of innovated on, or maybe it's just it was an idea out there that a couple of companies used and it didn't work very well. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that a little bit more. Next up, we're going to hear from John Murphy, and he is going to ask about supply bottlenecks. A first question around what's going on with, with suppliers. Um, it sounds like there's still a fair amount of, of bottlenecks there. Um, I'm just curious if you could sort of elucidate where those specifically are um how much they're 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 holding you back and and you know i mean i kind of applaud you rj for for having that that supplier day it sounds like it's a good thing to build those relationships but it sounds like you you felt like you needed to do that both for sort of comfort on their part but also for you to get um maybe closer to them and 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 pull them along so i'm I'm just you know trying to understand what those constraints are at the moment how much they're holding you back in 2023 and why you need to kind of, you know, get in there and kind of do that bear hug on that, that supplier day. Yeah. Thanks, John. As we look at 2022, there was a, you know, there's a lot of challenges just with the, the, some of the surprises and the things that we didn't expect in terms of supply interruptions and component availability. You know, as we look at 2023, uh, we have much better visibility and a much clearer picture of, of, of access to supply and where there are going to be, challenges or constraints and uh, very different than where we were last year. Um, that visibility allows us to focus on exactly what will go wrong or what will be a gap. And as it stands today in the numbers that Claire referenced earlier in terms of guidance, it really reflects uh, a supply constraint in, in our case around power semiconductors. And uh, this is this is being addressed through uh, working hard with suppliers, but also as, as I talked about bringing up the new drive unit, the Enduro drive unit. We've sourced the, the power semiconductors for this in a way that allows us to have multiple um, paths uh, to, to continue to ramp. 
So we have you know a different set of power semiconductor suppliers for our existing driving with the quad motor from what we have in the in the dual motor and in the single motor for the commercial van. So those those changes of, of the new technology along with the supplier relationships we built allow us to alleviate some of that constraint, but but it will be the ultimate limiting factor for us this year. And fortunately, unlike last year, we can plan around it. We have visibility into what those constraints look like. Uh, so it's not it's not going to be a surprise, which is why we're wanting to be thoughtful in how we guide here. Roger, I guess there's there's a lot of people that want to understand, you know, what what is you know sort of. Um, I mean, it's certainly not one time because this is not gonna this is not gonna ease that that quickly. You know, what's happening because of the supply chain side, and what's happening because of what is not getting done sort of internally on, on a micro basis. So, is, is there a way to tease that out and say, hey, listen, if we had all the the, the semis that we could get. You know, we could actually be, you know, 100,000 units as opposed to 50,000, 50, you know, this, this year, right? I mean, is there a way to tease that out or is that getting too cute? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I think the the issue we have is that the supply constraint is by far and away the, the biggest constraint. Um, you know, we, we talked about our, our second shift coming online and the ramp of our second shift. Uh, we didn't really talk about why it's you know, what's, what's constraining that ramp, but it's ultimately, it is component supply. And that's on the R1 line today. If you think about the, the commercial vehicle line, we're still running a single shift there. So it's, you know, we, we wish we could have the components to be able to fully run the plant uh, across all lines, across multiple shifts, uh, but that's not the case. And now as I think about power you know, semiconductors, uh, in addition to having multiple sources of supply, we also have different types of technologies. So we, we use both silicon carbide and, and silicon IGBTs. Um, and we have some level of fungibility in, in how we apply those across the vehicle sets. But it's, um, you know, I, I think you all, you, you understand very well that some of the constraints that exist in silicon carbide are, are going to be challenging over the next year. And so we've worked really hard to set up our supply chain so as we come out of this year and then into 2024, we're positioned to really grow. Um, and of course, you know, as we think about R2, this is a, a major consideration uh, from a power module point of view. We heard a little bit of this talk in RJ's opening remarks, but it sounds like 2022, Rivian had a lot of earn, learning opportunities, not earning opportunities, but learning opportunities. And maybe they got blindsided by some things a little bit when it comes to production and stuff like that. Uh, one of the concerns that they still have is power semiconductor bottlenecks, but it sounds like they think they've got that uh, figured out. Who knows? <laughs> like the world's a weird place. Yeah. Lots of weird things happening last week. I'm sure weird things will happen next week and throughout the rest of the year. Uh, the only thing certain recently has been uh, everything's topsy-turvy. So who knows what's going to happen, but it sounds like Rivian has tried to put themselves in the best position to um, succeed in 2023 and meet their 50,000 vehicle goal. Next up, we're going to hear from Dan Levy, and he's going to talk about pre-orders, or as I wrote down in my notes, because I must have been tired, pro-orders, but it's pre-orders. Let's go ahead and listen to that. wanted to ask about the commentary on the pre-orders, and I, I see the, the comment that that last into 2024. Maybe you can provide any uh, additional voiceover, you know, how have pre-orders trended year to date? And, and specifically, maybe you can, you, you mentioned pricing is a tailwind, you know, you have uh, the higher pricing flowing through eventually. 
Um, but given uh, the price cut that we saw from one of your large EV competitors, how does potential for price cuts eventually uh, factor into your calculus? Thanks, Dan. Um, as, we, as we think about the R1 product line, uh, this is really our flagship product line. It's, uh, you know, we've, we've built it and launched it to establish a brand. And, and as, uh, as part of that, the, the pricing levels and the segments through which these products are going to compete in, you know, it's a larger set of vehicles, a three-row SUV and a, and a two-row pickup. Um, the pricing levels really need to be compared to things that are in those segments. And we feel very strong about where we position the products. The R1T, we bring online our, our standard pack. Uh, we'll start at $73,000 in the, um, and the R1S is just around $80,000 with a three row SUV with, you know, very, very strong performance. So the, the, the positioning there, we, we feel, uh, confident. We made pricing adjustments in, in 2022, uh, and we haven't further adjusted from there. Certainly, as, as Claire noted, our reservation process now gives us more flexibility. Uh, to make uh, adjustments to pricing over time, but um, but we do see the introduction of some of the new technologies and some of the new features uh, to allow us to actually grow ASP, uh, as Claire said, with not only the new prices coming on for for post March one orders, uh, but also to reflect some of the new technologies that are going to be in the vehicle. The two things that I took from that were one, don't compare Tesla and Rivian when it comes to prices which I think is fair in some ways and not fair in others. Like Rivian really doesn't have a sedan that would compete with the Model S. I'm not sure that the Model X and the R1T are direct competitors because the R1, or excuse me, the R1S, the R1S is a really big SUV and the Model X isn't, it's a nice SUV, but it's not as big as the R1T. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's fair or not fair. You certainly can't compare them to the Model 3 and the Model um, Y, for sure. And then the next thing that I took from this is don't expect any price cuts. Uh, at least don't expect them anytime soon. <laughs> so, uh, which is fair. They're trying to make money. I, I get it. Next up, we have a short clip, and we're going to hear about Rivian, whether or not they're going to go into any other verticals like for instance, when Tesla announced that they were going to do lithium processing in Corpus Christi. So let's go ahead and listen to that. I'm sure you've read the same uh, press releases that I have, that some of your peers are getting incredibly deep into that. I mean, they're partnering with mines, buying mines, buying stakes in mines, um, and doing things that seem to be a little bit far afield. I'm curious as to how much vertical integration, in your opinion, is maybe too much vertical integration. Do you think that, you know, longer term, that might be something that you might explore as well. And thank you. Yeah, well, well George, I, I think um, the core of the question is sort of uh, pointing towards lithium. Um, you know, in the previous question talked about raw material costs, and uh, this has certainly had the the most outside outsized impact uh, across the EV industry with, you know, lithium hydroxide, you know, spot market price, you know, hovering around $80 a kilogram, you know, up four or five times relative to what it was, uh, you know, a year, year and a half ago. So this is, this is a real consideration has uh, everyone, certainly ourselves included thinking about what's the right sourcing relationships for lithium, you know, lithium hydroxide, lithium carbonate. Um, and, and we're certainly in, in midst of a lot of those discussions. And I think it's, it's causing the, the 
material sources and in our case, the, the manufacturers, the OEMs, uh, to think about deal structures that are very different than what existed uh, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Uh, that could involve ownership positions, but I think uh, for the most part, the, the opportunities lie in just more unique structuring. And so we haven't yet announced anything on, on that front, but it's something I spend a, a, an enormous amount of time on uh, and work very closely with, with some of the very large players in the space. Based on that answer, do you think that Rivion is interested in entering these verticals like lithium processing or mining or anything like that to make sure that they can secure enough material for what they need? Or do you think that you're, they're just going to partner with other companies that are already doing this and just buy it directly from them? My general thought, and I'm often wrong on this, so don't take me uh, don't don't take this seriously. But my general thought is that they will continue partnering with companies, and and the main reason for that is because they're they're only producing 50,000 vehicles this year. Now for Rivian, that's a lot of cars, but for auto manufacturers that are already established, it's not very many. Um, maybe when the R12 is um, up and running and they're starting production on that, maybe they'll start because it's a more mass market car. But as it is right now, they're not buying very much in terms of you know, car manufacturer scale or electric car manufacturer scale of product. So what do you think? Email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. Okay, we're down to our final question, which is Ryan Brinkman. And he is asking a question on the Inflation Reduction Act and how is it, it is affecting Rivian. I wanted to get your thoughts on any impact to Rivian you see from the Inflation Reduction Act. I remember as that bill was being written, it was speculated it could have been, uh, you know, various different proposals. But uh, in the end, uh, you know, it only subsidized the lower priced vehicles, right? And, uh, you know, benefits those manufacturers that are uh, making the batteries or that are that are vertically integrated or partnered, uh, which, you know, you have yet to do. So uh, do you see any uh, benefit in charging or, or other uh, tailwinds? And and, uh, you know, how do you expect or hope to or plan to position the company to uh, better benefit from that act uh, as uh, the next uh, several years play out? Yeah, so I think the IRA bill, I've said this before, I think it, it's, a, um, it's incredibly aggressive and appropriate to drive a broad scale shift towards electrification and to build out a supply chain within the U.S. Um, and with that, in, in the case of our R1 product line, there's, there's some tailwind, some benefits that it provides, um, largely in the form of, because we build modules in the U.S., uh, we have a $10 per kilowatt hour benefit that, that's derived from IRA on the R1 platform. That's a manufacturing facing benefit. But in terms of the consumer facing credit, uh, the, 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 our vehicles aren't really applicable on the R1 platform. Now, in the case of R2, it's a very different story. In the case of R2, it's, is, is alluded to in previous questions, it's really important that we ensure that the vehicle uh, and the way we manufacture the vehicle and the batteries in the vehicle uh, ensures IRA compliance. The price points would be considerably lower and fall really right into the sweet spot as contemplated by IRA. And uh, the sourcing of, of the critical materials plus the, the, the build of the cells, the manufacturing of the cells, needs to be done such that we qualify for the $7,000 
dollar $7,500 credit that is consumer facing. So that's, um, that's foundational to how we're thinking about the R2 program and platform, uh, and certainly plays into sourcing decisions and engineering decisions. Okay, great. Then, and, and also just to follow up on that earlier, uh, Q&A around pricing, you know, the, the up to 20% price cut on some of the Tesla models, you know, Lester, Ford, and, and some of the others, et cetera. But, um, it, I'm sure there's passing along of, of lower input costs and, and all that, the battery metals. But, um, you know, is there anything else, uh, you know, it just seemed like, a a large reduction, right? So, um, you know, how are you feeling about, you know, the, 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 the demand, the, the new order intake level or whatnot for, uh, you know, the, the prices that you're currently, uh, charging? I think, as I was describing before, in the case of R1, we feel, uh, confident in, in the value proposition of, of what we're delivering at, at our pricing levels today. Uh, and if, you know, if you were to compare, take, for example, the R1S to other three-row SUVs that offer the level of range and performance that, that the R1S is delivering, uh, it's, it's a really a, we think of it as a, it's a really good deal. Uh, of course, a bit biased here, but, uh, you know, zero to 60 in three seconds, uh, well over 300 miles of range. As we just announced today, we have a max pack variant with 390 miles of range. Uh, which when coupled with the, the Enduro dual motor configuration, uh, delivers zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. Uh, and to, and to be able to deliver that at the, the types of pricing that we're talking about relative to the competitive set, uh, it's, it's positioned quite well. Now, as, as you said, there's been, uh, price reductions that we've seen, uh, you know, on the order of 20% in vehicles that, that are more in the R2, um, market basket, if you will. And a lot of that segment had seen significant price inflation in the first half of 2022. And I think we saw the prices go up very rapidly. And we, we of course, saw the other side of that, which is the prices come down very rapidly. I think what we're seeing today is reflective of a, of a more stable uh, and sustainable long-term pricing model for vehicles that are in the uh, sort of mid-size crossover and SUV segment. Uh, versus what we were seeing, uh, you know, in you know the mid early parts of 2022 into middle late part of 2022. So Rivian is benefiting from their side. There, it doesn't sound like you're going to pass that savings along to the consumer, which I understand why they wouldn't. That's not a that's not a knock on them. Like they're a company and they they are a small company and they need to survive and they're building a factory and you know they're trying to get these. Uh, vehicles out to clear their order books so that does make sense to me uh i did think it was funny that they compared you know tesla more to the model or to the r1t line even though the model s and model x have have seen price reductions as well so i don't think that's entirely fair they tesla did bring down the prices of their higher end models um and he's correct that in 2022 with inflation and stuff Tesla jacked the prices of those vehicles up, and so did Ford and other companies. But uh, they have come down significantly, and I think that's specifically because they had to hit those marks for the Inflation Reduction Act. Otherwise, I, I think we'd still see higher prices for these vehicles, but I'm happy that Tesla did it. So... All right, everybody, that is it for us this week. If you have questions, you can email me. It's Bodie or comments, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can find me on Twitter at 918digital. And I hope you all have a wonderful 
uh, day. I hope whenever you're listening to this, because I'm still going to talk to you next this week. I, I keep going with this terrible ending. So I'm just going to stop. Have a nice day. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.